it's it's above the four thousand level. Last week it was below the four thousand level on the S and P five hundred, and apparently a lot of folks think that is an important number. Uh, above four thousand psychologically, according to what I've read, is apparently very important to some traders. Anyway. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and Jeff McClure. And now that's it for the radio voices. We're going to, uh, wait, can we say Sunday three times? Sunday, Sunday, Why? Sunday. Why Is would it? you say Sunday, Sunday, Sunday? Because it's a day of the week three times. I don't know. Well, exercising my radio voice, and that's one that, for some reason, radio voices, you got to say Sunday three times. I think the Miranda clause is better. You wish me to remain silent? You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say will be held against you. Especially if I repeat a day of the week three times. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. All right. So this is the personal wealth coach. Uh, We are going to talk to you today about the world of finance. We're going to talk about personal finance, macroeconomics, microeconomics, the other kinds of economics in the middle, um, behavioral economics, and um, probably nothing at all about sports. Do you you have any sports commentary for the day? No. um, Is there any sports sports going on? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I I had an adage that I used, and I thought this is going to work every time sports comes up in a conversation. I know nothing about sports, so but I've heard enough announcers say this: the the way you win the game is you get more points than the other team or the other no, side. But that doesn't work in golf, right? It's the other way around in golf. Uh, you so get, you get fewer points. I I can't keep this straight. And and if you hit the golf ball all the way across many many long distances to land it in the hole you don't get three points i I don't i don't yeah so we're not going to talk about sports you get one point you get one point one point yes we we don't talk about sports very much because the depth of our ignorance is unfathomable 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 yeah and and actually you don't even you don't even get points you get strokes i don't want a stroke thank you no i don't either anyway this is the personal wealth coach as the gentleman with the black beard said, and I'm the gentleman with the gray beard, Jeff McClure. I'm and the, not sure about that gentleman business, but we'll go with it. Well, actually, we're not gentlemen because we still work. Technically, gentlemen don't work for a living. Anyway, the, um, the thing we do need to say, though, is that the Person Wealth Coach is not just the name of this radio program. It's also the name of a registered investment advisory firm in Salado, Texas, that does business all over the country and is registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, which in no way implies that they approve of our activities. Doesn't imply that they disapprove either, but will imply it anyway because they generally disapprove of a lot of stuff. Um, I don't think they disapprove of anything that we're doing, but I wouldn't say that because they right. might because they're, they're a very just, disapproving you, bunch usually. You, you did say that just a moment ago. That they didn't disapprove of us? Right. I said I wasn't implying that they disapproved of us. Oh, okay, but you you wouldn't say that they approved of us, but in the in that sentence is they approved of us. So I did say that. Say that, those, but you yeah. did say it. You can okay, tell well, we're economists, not, right? We're also nerds. Very much. Uh, so. Well, that's those that, those two go together. That's, that's redundant statement. 
Yeah. It's redundant all over again. Yeah. Um, what else do we need to tell them? We don't pay for the radio program. Right. We don't uh, get paid for the radio program either. Right. We do advertise on KTEM, but Senator, there is no quid pro quo because what we do on the radio on the radio station is advertise for the radio program. Why do we do that? Well, very frankly, a lot of our clients, we are our clients tell us that they listen to the program, and this is an excellent opportunity to have a conversation with our clients where they don't ever say anything. Yeah, and the in, and the information. This is an educational radio program. We're not giving investment advice here, even though we are the two principals in a registered investment advisory firm. Uh, because you can't give investment advice to everybody and it be the same. Uh, actually, you can, but it's pretty vague advice. It's kind of like buy low, sell high, uh, save. You need to have good savings in a diversified portfolio. Uh, don't get involved in a land war in Asia. Well, that's not investment advice. Well, in, in the original well, in term, investing, in like you, you invest troops in an area. Yeah. yeah. Right. You don't want to do that investment advice. Yeah. Right. Uh, Russia and, should not invade Ukraine. And the, uh, we're not giving advice to Russia right now. No, they're not, not listening. No. Okay. And the information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Or unsaid information. We, we do actually give a guarantee that unsaid information is incomplete. That is the only guarantee we will give today. I guarantee, I guarantee that. Well, oh no, now I just, I broke my own guarantee. There it was. You did. It is. There it is. So what happened this week in the big wide world of finance as measured uh, by the markets? I was so busy looking at um, the, the disclosures that I wasn't even thinking about that. Okay. Well, the stock market, if you mean the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the uh, S&P 500 stock index, which by the way, is not the stock market. It is just an indicator of some part of the stock market. It's a measurement. Um, it's like saying the, 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 the dipstick is the engine. Right. The S&P 500 stock index. And by the way, the technical definition of the index to which we refer is SPX. And I know that sounds like, why did you have to say SPX? Believe it or not, performance of an index on is varies depending on which symbol you use. And also... And SPX is the one we're using. Yeah. Also on who's reporting it and what time of day they decided to quote it. Yeah, well, How's but, that for but, crazy, but there are literally different numbers that you can get right. for performance here. So we're using something we're using. If you look up XPX and you'll find that we got the, I think we got it right. Anyway, the standard Poor's 500 stock index rose 3.65% for the week and it closed at 4,067.36. Now, why is that significant? Well, first the last three weeks, it's fallen. Um, and it's went up and, but this is, this is the thing. Why did it fall the last three weeks? The, the surveys by the wall street journal reporters and other folks have clearly said it's because the Fed, they're concerned the federal reserve is going to raise interest rates so fast and so high, it's going to put the United States into a recession. And because the, it, it will be in a recession, earnings will fall. And because earnings will fall, stocks will be like worth less. So not worthless, mind you, but worth less. And will so they should sell stocks. So this week we had the most hawkish, aggressive statements by members, voting members of the Federal Reserve Board. We have heard to date. Right. I've got three major headlines in the Wall Street Journal all saying uh, Brainerd says Fed raises interest rate, will raise interest rate three quarters of print. Oh, that she's the vice chair, by the way. Fed on path for another three, three quarter 
percent rise and feds powell affirms need for another three so i mean it's everywhere they're going to be doing mm-hmm. this and the market was up. and 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 the other members of the voting members of the board who spoke have all said we're going to keep it's going to hurt powell says it's going to hurt we're going to lose jobs uh it, it's going to happen and so the market went up which is very normal for the market in times like this it just seems it, abnormal it's really what, normal the other the other thing that the market was responding to, according to all the reports, and, and what happens is the at the Wall Street Journal and other places, they actually survey the traders and say, why did you buy or sell today? Um, up till now, good news has been bad news. In other words, whenever it looked like the economy was doing really, really well, the market would go down for the last three weeks. Because the Fed's going to raise interest rates because the because economy's it, doing so well. Right. Yeah. And and it's it's it, the, they call this... Good news is bad news. And then this week, we had some really good numbers come out, reported on that in the economy, the employment numbers look good. It looks like the economy is growing quite quickly. Uh, PMI numbers came out, purchase managers, purchasing managers index numbers came out, and it looks like everything is doing very, very well. So that would should cause the market to go down, except it went up. And then uh, the Fed says, we're really going to tighten down on the interest rates. We're going to tighten till it hurts. And so the market went up. And that means that The standard, simple, simplistic rules of thumb on why the market goes up and down in the short term really don't hold a lot of water. They don't work real well. Um, So, but let's let's get a little background here. Yes, the standard and poorest 500 stock index is technically in the market in general is is still technically in a bear market, but it moved above the fourth. It 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 it. It's, it's above the 4,000 level. Last week, it was below the 4,000 level in the S&P 500. And apparently, a lot of folks think that is an important number. Uh, above 4,000 psychologically, according to what I've read, is apparently very important to some traders. Anyway, it's down 15%, just just over 15% from its high in early January. It's um, down 8.88% from last year at this time. That's the S&P 500. It's up about 11% from where it was in mid-June. And, and get this, it's 82% higher. Now, if you, back in 2020, when the pandemic was going on, had you been, if you were thinking, man, I'd, I need to bail out of the market, this is really scary. It, the, the S&P 500 is 82% higher than it was in the spring of 2020. Now, that's two and a half years. It's risen 82%. Um, it's 30% higher than it was at this time in 2019, just before the pandemic. So most of the numbers, if we're looking other than very short term within the year, the numbers are all positive. We're in a bear market, but we've got a lot of positive numbers out there. And, and that's an important thing to keep in mind if you're invested in, in equities in a broad-based portfolio. Now, we follow another index, the CRSP, Mid, U.S. Mid-Cap Value Index, because we think mid-cap value is important and we it's, it's a different thing than the large cap growth side of the uh, S&P 500. It's, uh, it was up 3.72% for the week. It is still down 7.13% from its top in January. And it is uh, down 1.91% from last year at this time. It's up 11% from mid-June like the S&P 500. Now, why do we... A couple of people said, why do you have two sets of indices that you follow or two indexes that you follow, depending on what you prefer to say? Well, there's a difference between the value side of the market and the growth side of the market. And there's a difference between large cap and mid cap companies. And I think it's important to put that contrast in there. Um, Value tends to be more stable and is 
obviously acting in a more stable fashion, it tends to lose less money in a down market. And this is an example right here of why that academic factor is important if you're invested in one side versus the other. And we could go into that for weeks, but we won't. Okay, U.S. 10-year Treasury note now yielding 3.315%. Now, why is that important? Well, because it was less than 1% a year ago. That is a huge rise in interest rates in a very short period of time, which is what the Fed is trying to engineer to slow things down. It's making it more expensive to borrow money, um, making loans more expensive, even rolling them over from year to year like a lot of companies do. The Treasury yield curve, which has a reputation as forecast for forecasting uh, recessions. Unfortunately, it is forecast about 10 of the last seven recessions. Uh, so sometimes it forecasts a recession and it doesn't come. And it we do have an inverted yield curve because the, uh, the two-year, the, the place to watch, at least according to the academics that I read, the, the place to watch is the difference between the two-year yield on the Treasury note and the 10-year yield. And the two-year yield is at 3.5, just just above 3.5%. The 10 years at 3.315. So 3.5, 3.3. Uh, 3.3 is lower, and that's at 10 years. 3.5 is higher. That's at two years. So you have an inverted yield curve, uh, which is accurate. Crude oil. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil. This is of great importance to anyone who's listening who gets around, unless you're driving a Tesla or something. And it fell to $86.28 per barrel. Now, again, putting that down, putting that in perspective a little bit, it was $121 in mid-June. It's $86 now. Wow. That is a world of difference, and you can see it at the gas pump. The average, according to AAA, American Automobile Association, the average price of gasoline in the United States regular is $3.74 per gallon. In June, it was over $5. That is a big difference, uh, and it is stimulative to the economy, which is probably making the Federal Reserve members nervous because as the price of gasoline goes down, people have more money available. Given that your income didn't go up or down and you're spending less on gasoline, you have more money to spend on something else, and that's stimulative. It's like it's like a stimulation for the government, and uh, it's they're probably a little concerned about that causing inflation. And that's pretty much the market, although there's lots lots of secondary stuff that we could talk about from that. Right. So uh, we are in it. Matter of fact, is I have this deep fear inside of me. Every time things look like they're really, really, really going well, I get scared because, oh, no, that means bad news is coming. It's not necessarily a true feeling, but um, I, I'm kind of glad the market is down some right now. If if. If the rest of the world was in the pits and our market was still at record highs, I would be getting nervous at this point. But uh, long term, I guess that's the important thing. And I think you probably agree with me on this point. Long term, meaning out to the end of this decade, I'm very optimistic about the economic prospects of the United States. What, something that hasn't made headlines in the midst of all the else that's going on. The United States, companies in the United States are what are called reshoring, which is a really strange word. Reshoring jobs, as opposed to outshoring jobs, millions of jobs literally are coming back to the United States that were that were previously somewhere else. In other words, they're bringing manufacturing and a lot of things back here. One of the things that we're restricted in, severely restricted, is we just don't have enough people to do the work. Uh, we have long 
many, quite a few years ago, actually, we restricted legal immigration quite a lot in the United States. And so now we have a lot of work that can't, that isn't getting done because we won't allow people to come into the United States to do the work. That result, a result of that was, yes, wages went up in the United States. And, and that's true. You've got a labor shortage. The price of labor goes up. That generates inflation, by the way. But at the same time, it means that there are people who are going to be trying to get into the country to do the work that is available to do that people want to hire people for that they can't find anybody to hire. We do need immigration reform and a system of allowing people into the country to do the work where we don't have anybody to do the work. It's just that simple. It ain't there. Do I think it's going to likely to get there in the near future? No, because of politics. But even as long ago as Ronald Reagan, we had this problem and he addressed it. And I'm sort of a Reaganistic sort of guy. Um, and we haven't solved the problem since. We haven't increased our ability to let people legally into the country. And we're right. going to continue to have to fight over it until we do. The rationale was um, we had a lot of illegal immigrants. This is not a good thing. Nobody can look at that and say, this is great. Everybody come in here. Well, I guess some people say that. But having the ability to figure out who's coming into the country and making sure that they're paying taxes and they're not leeching off the system or not bringing crime, all that's a very valid threat here. As a group, the conservative side said, let's put everything on hold and stop the leaks. Let's stop the immigration, illegal immigration wave. We'll put all future planning on what we should do for immigration laws on hold and let's just enforce the ones that we've got. And to some extent, that's been done, including by Democrats. And if you look at the um, the number of uh, detentions on the border during the Biden administration, you'll be amazed to find it's uh, above that that was going on during the Trump administration. Yes, I was amazed as well. Well, why? Because it's the law. And the Border Patrol doesn't say, well, we have a different president now. We don't have to enforce the law. Uh, the president doesn't get to say to them, stop enforcing the law. Uh, there may be an opinion on how the law is followed, and if it falls within the legal parameters, it can be enforced that way. But the, when we look at who's being detained and how many people and all of that, it's still going on. But we haven't done anything to patch up the true need that we have on the other end. There's something that we've talked about on the program for decades. If you restrict the supply of immigration, then a whole series of areas are going to see a price increase like you wouldn't believe. Uh, in the hospitality world, uh, hotel prices to stay a night are going to climb drastically. Housing prices will go up because we don't have enough people to build the houses. You go down this list, we have restricted immigration illegal and legal enough that we're seeing a lot of that going on that same inflation rate that we're seeing in hospitality if you've tried to get a hotel recently you're going to see an issue and part of that it's the prices are way up well why there are fewer maid services available by far that increases the cost because they have to pay more to people to come and clean the rooms because we have fewer immigrants, legal and illegal. Let me put a little balance into that. The Democrats were the ones who initially instituted the immigration restrictions. That's right. Why? 
because they're backed by the unions and the unions wanted to see wages go up. This is, by the way, when we had bad inflation uh, back in the 80s, um, late 70s and early 80s. They fought any opening up of legal immigration because they wanted there to be a labor shortage because that labor shortage meant the, 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 the thing the employers would pay their workers more. This was a key factor in causing a lot of jobs in the United States to go overseas. If, if you can't afford to make a competitive, and there's a prime example I saw, uh, Schwim, 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 the bicycle company. Schwinn. 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 It was Schwinn. Okay. The bicycle company was making bicycles in the United States. They couldn't afford to compete with imported bicycles because the labor costs were so high. They moved their production overseas, moved it to China because the labor costs dropped and they then were competitive and could stay in business. Why were the labor costs so high in the United States? You don't have to, they can train people to make bicycles, but we basically had a shortage of labor. We had a shortage of people to make bicycles. And we have a shortage of people to build highways. And we have a shortage of people to do just about everything, particularly at the low end of the labor spectrum, the hard work in the hot sun kind of work that needs to be done. And we've stuck with that. As you said, the Republicans said, let's enforce the law before we pass any new laws. The Democrats are saying we like the new we like the laws as they are because they raise wages for unions. And so we're kind of stuck in a place where we're hurting ourselves. And and let me add to that a demographic shift. The Democrats all the way up to about six years ago were by far the party of unions. There was just no comparison. During the Trump administration, that shifted. That shifted drastically so that the majority of union members are now Republican. What does that mean? Because unions are a, you know, according to the old school belief system on the Republican side, unions are uh, kind of like a, a communist concept. That's where the word union even comes from, communion, that they're you know, mobilizing to prevent profits at these corporations. It's a populist thing. So you can't say conservative and liberal union is always liberal or always conservative. It's about populist. If if a politician is protecting labor in the United States and saying keep the foreigners out, that could be a conservative or a liberal mantra at any point throughout the history of the United States. That gets passed back and forth between the parties. Well, now the Republicans are the party of unions. Now, they haven't put it on their platform that way, but when the majority of union members are Republicans at this point, that says something. And it's a shift that's just happened. It is just, you know, and nobody stands up and waves a flag and says that. I guess I'm the one doing that. I'm, I'm now the voice saying, hey, this just happened, but it did. So when you look at which side is the party of legal immigration now, well, there isn't one because the Democrats are still in a place where they say we're going to give amnesty for the illegals. They're not proposing new immigration laws for legal immigration that fits business needs. And the Republicans are still just stop the border. (laughs) Don't let anybody in. So we have two sides of an isolationist mentality. One side's a little bit more isolationist than the other. 
And that's a weird context to give because it wasn't that long ago that we had one side isolationist and one side open border. And now the open border context is an extreme end of the liberal party and the majority of the liberal party doesn't agree with it. So just an interesting, it's just how isolationist we are as far as immigration goes. Uh, when we look at it, we say part of the growth of our nation has to do with immigration. Always. It's because we're an immigrant founded com- country. And I didn't end that as balanced as I wanted it to because we ran out of time. Legal immigration is important. We need to be able to track who's coming in and who's going out and what they're doing and are they criminals and are they paying taxes. Otherwise, we will see long-term an increase in prices for anything that has cheap labor associated with it because cheap labor won't be as cheap. That's just an economics concept rather than a political one. And we're about out of time for this week. If you'd like to talk to us off the air we have voicemail waiting during the weekend, real live people without a phone tree during the week. Uh, locally, you can reach us at 254-947-1111 or toll-free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can find uh, newsletters going back a long ways, a place to sign up for the newsletter, a contact form, or you can email us directly at Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. Uh, you can find our radio program there, and our podcast is anywhere that podcasts are available. Thank you very much for listening to the program on your Saturday or on your run as you're listening to a recording. We appreciate it. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.